Welcome to episode 154 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. The timed one-mile run in gym class brings back memories, right? Not fond ones for me. I dreaded this day every year. The cold air made my lungs ache. My legs felt like lead. I did my best to speed walk so I wouldn't come in dead last. Fast forward to about five years ago. My wife starts leaving articles for me to read in the bathroom. Articles about people who started running in their 40s. I was about to turn 40, but I wasn't taking the hint. I had a zillion excuses for why I'm not a runner. Some feel more legitimate than others. I have bad knees, for instance, is hard to argue with. But most of my reasons go back to gym class and my experience with a timed mile. My wife turns 40 next month and started a couch to 5K training a couple of months ago. I've been diligently going to the gym and doing over three miles on an elliptical three to four times a week for many, many months. So when she suggested that I join her for a run while we were traveling in California, I found myself considering the idea. She was convinced that my time at the gym meant I was ready for this physical challenge. I started to realize my main resistance was a mental barrier. I ran with her twice a couple of weeks ago. Twice. My quads ached for days after the first run, but not as much after the second. I don't anticipate becoming a runner in my 40s or 50s or 60s, but now I know I could run if I wanted to. Where's that stopwatch? I'm ready for the timed mile now. Your challenge for this week. Sometimes we're ready for new challenges, but old mindsets get in the way. The voices in our head talk us out of even trying. We devalue the progress we've made and the efforts we've been putting into becoming a better version of ourselves. What if we stopped listening to that old song and created a new one? What could you accomplish if you decided it was time to take the challenge? Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest says, if you had asked her former lawyer self, if she imagined herself in the career she has today, the likely response would have been, are you kidding me? Speaker and author of the Build Your Dream Network, forging powerful relationships in a hyper-connected world, She's been lauded from Forbes, a fast company, for her networking skills and Twitter acumen. Her entire career story is a networked one. From her first career as a lawyer to being invited to join nonprofit and startup boards, to dying with Malala, and then to writing her book and so much more. She believes success is not simply a question of what you know, how hard you work, or even who you have the good fortune of bumping into. Instead, she believes success in a hyper-connected world comes down to who knows what you know. Please join me in welcoming Jay Kelly Hoey. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me from your office in New York City. I'm sure we're going to get some ambient noise knowing uh, <laughs> what the city is like this time of day. Um, I, I, this is a show about building strong networks. And the context, as we had talked about a minute ago, is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I think leadership is not being afraid of other people's success. And I think it's helping others reach their potential. 
I think that's what a true leader and that's what leadership is. And I think about it in that context because of the mentor I had when I was practicing law. This was very early in my career. So I graduated from law school in 1991. And um, my then, I want to say sort of boss and mentor, he used to have this phrase that he, in, in building up the people around him, he used to say, I train my assassins which I kind of think is kind of brilliant. Um, and he wanted everyone on his team to be better than he was. Uh, and in doing so, he also, um, and in leading that way, he really, um, I want to say ingrained in all of us, um, a, a desire to excel, a desire to do better, uh, a commitment to helping other people uh, on their career path, and a fierce loyalty. I mean, he was the most incredible mentor I ever had, uh, but one of the worst people I've ever encountered in my life as well. And that's for another podcast and another time and another subject. But this train your assassins, and I think of that in terms of, um, you know, what what is a sort of a leadership model, um, you know, uh, to, to instill and, and build a team that way that you want them to be so successful. And I had the good fortune of having this person as a mentor very early in my career. And, and so I've always used it as a kind of a signpost for um, the way I've chosen to work with other people. So hopefully I've been a, a leader for a long time. <laughs> I love, this is uh, such a catchy way to describe something. And I, I tell you, I've been doing this show for a while now, and that's the first time I both have heard that phrase, but also that someone had so distilled leadership to be about being willing to let others succeed around you and not worrying about it, how it affects you, or even believing that it impacts you in a positive way for others to be truly successful around you and that you should be building those people up. Like that, that does to me like ring true to like what a great leader does. Well, I mean, like your success, like it doesn't necessarily take away from my success. And I think we all have to recognize in life that, well, say, for example, your goal in life is to be a Fortune 500 CEO. There's only 500 of those positions, people. Of course, there's going to be competition. Of course, not everyone's going to get it. But, you know, you can achieve other levels of success by even though if you're you're striving for that kind of role and driving towards it, um, but you don't have to you know be a jerk to everybody else along your path. Um, yeah. You know, just recognize you know the odds are likely against you, um, and if you're good to other people on that career path, chances are they're going to help you find something else. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it might even improve your chances of getting where you want to go. In the, in the same way, yeah. So, well, it's to what kind of leader do you want to be? It's like, yeah. all right, if, you, if you're the person who backstabs and tosses everybody else under the bus on the way to, you know, that Fortune 500 CEO role, I mean, good luck. I mean, someone is going to have your back pretty quick. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that may be a short short <laughs> position there at the top. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, one of the things I also really appreciate is how much a mentor played a role in how you think about leadership. And, and so many of us, I would say all of us need mentors more than we have them. Um, but so few of us have had a great mentor in our career. And for that to have happened in an early moment was really good. What about earlier than this, Kelly? What about like high school, grade school, like the playground, were you a kid who organized everyone? Were you running for office? Were you kind of quiet watching the sidelines, like seeing what's going on in the room? 
No, I was that, I think if I think back to earlier in my career, nah, and, and earlier in, in my life, nah, uh, in terms of, um, you know, and this is a great question. Let me add and conversation point. Let me address it this way. Um, you know, s- you think of some education systems which stream people for their future at a very early age and make a decision, hey, you're 12, you're going to be a you know, welder kind of thing. Uh, and we think of lists like, you know, Forbes 30 under 30. And there's this moment of, uh, I, you know, in your life where you think, well, I don't have leadership qualities or um, I'm not going to make it because I haven't achieved this by the time I'm 21 or 30 or whatever the rest of it is. I have always been career focused, but the career I've always wanted um, is happening now. And, um, I'm 53 and I say that because Forbes has published my age. So I have no issue with publishing my age. So, um, I'm 53 and I'm having the career I want to have right now. And, um, you know, when I look at the horizon of my productive life, when I look at the possibilities of what I can achieve, um, I'm not looking behind me and saying, oh, isn't that, you know, pull out the violins, isn't it so sad that that didn't happen by the time I was 30? Um, I'm looking ahead and saying, wow, what am I going to accomplish for the next 30 years? What what else can I, you know, contribute? Um, so no, when I was a kid, no, I was, you know, kind of middle of the road, middle of the pack, the one everyone you know, kind of liked, but wasn't necessarily the fastest on the track team or, you know, first in the class or, you know, any of those kinds of things. Yeah. I actually really appreciate you talking about how you've now arrived in your fifties at the career you've, you didn't even know you wanted, but have always wanted, um, that, that it was, that it like, that we, you know, I think about, um, Harvey Milk, he was 40 and thought his life was over and that he'd achieved nothing. <laughs> you know, and like everything we know for yeah. <laughs> was after that. Like he was like, you know, in his forties and beyond as he made his mark on the world. And I and I always think about like that that moment is is sort of oh, sort of on the horizon for many people. I want to say Lucille Ball. You know, everything she ever wanted in life happened after she was 40. Marriage, kids, TV star, all after the age of 40. Mm-hmm. Uh Helen Gurley Brown, who was the iconic editor of Cosmo after 40. She'd had like 19 jobs by the time that she got the one as editor-in-chief at Cosmo. So, you know, we can talk about the career trends now of having numerous jobs or having jobs that haven't previously existed. You know what? There's examples from, you know, prior generations. And I think the more you can build the elements that allows you to live the career life or the career and life that you want, and you can get comfortable in that. You can stop the kind of comparisons to those around you and ignore that noise and just, you know, follow your own tune. Yeah, the comparisons are the death of us often. So I want to hear about this transition, though, from from your former lawyer self to where you are today. Like, what were the early inklings that you weren't going to stay in that role? And, and, and how did you start to develop the path that led you here? Led to where I am now. So, so first of all, I'm going to say, like, I'm really glad I was a lawyer. And once you're a lawyer, always a lawyer. And there's a lot of foundational stuff in terms of the way I think about networking um, and the way I think about mentoring um, that comes from being a lawyer. Um, and so no regrets on that career at all. I just very much had been 
you know, put it back to age and everything else, was brought up with the idea that you went to college, you went back to college, you got that professional degree, and you got a good job, and you put your head down and did good work and soldiered on. And uh, I practiced law for 11 years. And then I would attribute this to more to work environment than the work itself. Uh, And I really was like, "Mm, this isn't working for me. And I was at my third law firm and I sort of thought, okay, let's, let's just assess what this is. So I went and interviewed for other jobs in the law, both at other firms as well as in-house. And I was like, no, reinventing myself in another firm as an associate wasn't for me. Uh, And going in-house, I was like, no, there's just this this, this also doesn't feel exactly right in terms of what I want to do. So I, I sat down and made a list. Like, all right, what is it I like about my job? Uh, what is it I like about, you know, um, you know, a week, a day? Like, what is, what is, what is kind of the, the pluses of what I do? And when I took a look at that, um, there was really a lot in terms of working with developing um, and providing value to the junior associates in particular who were working with me. Uh, I was the person, the sort of senior associate who didn't mind all those interruptions. So that's one of those things I sort of say to people, like, take a pulse on what do you like about your job? There may be elements in it it that you really do like. Uh, And so pay attention to those. So I thought, okay, where are their roles in a law firm um, environment? Because I was still very narrow thinking back in 2001. Um, where are the rules within firms that I can do this? And so started sort of peeling back and discovering what was out there. Um, the good news was I had a few people who were, you know, um, who had sort of broken the path before me and ha- I had worked with, uh, so they could kind of give me the lay of the land. But the real big lesson besides the kind of, you know, hey, what is it you enjoy and what's possible out there was clearly the tapping into the network to land that new role because I became the manager of professional development for a global law firm in 2004. So that was the sort of big career change. But what I discovered initially in, in, in that research um, and finding out what roles were out there and which one I particularly wanted to go after, because um, there's a lot of lawyers who've moved into recruiting or business development or marketing, but I really was like, all right, attorney training and development, this is what I want to do. Um, what I discovered was those were word of mouth jobs back in 2001, uh, 2002, that, t- that time period. They weren't advertised unless you had previous experience and no, at the time, being a lawyer who had needed that resource <laughs> was not experienced. Um, so I had to build an entirely new word of mouth network. And that's one of the lessons I share in my book is um, that we have so many more tools today to find information, to do research, to find out who decision makers are or who are the people in that um, a community of, of peers of a, of a new profession we want to go into. It still takes time to build trust. And in trust, you know, as you know better than anybody else, that's like the foundation of, of networks and relationships. And that stuff doesn't, you know, just blossom because you want it. That takes time. You know, I don't care how quickly you can, you know, swipe and post. It takes time to build trust. Uh, and it took 18 months uh, to build that trusted network that enabled me to make that initial career change. So I'm so glad you segued us into networking because I know this is an area of expertise for you. And I was sort of curious how, it, how your story uh, and your experience with networking and ultimately writing this book 
uh, Build Your Dream Network was based in your lived experience and this need to, to shift and change. First of all, the awareness that the jobs were word of mouth and you didn't have the network to get you that information quickly enough. Um, and I appreciate you also naming that it can take 18 months to develop it. Because I think on one hand, some people think it could take 10 years. And so they just don't even bother trying. And others are so frustrated that it didn't happen in a month and a half. <laughs> or, or didn't happen after one cocktail party. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> I went, I tried, I tried, you know. But what were some of those early steps you took to make that shift in your, in your network that made you aware of who those new players were and made you also a valuable participant and a trusted participant in that new network? Because showing up in a needy way, like, because you needed something. So coming across too much in a, a deficit mindset, people are like, ah, I don't want to deal with that. So like, how did you surmount the mindset around needing a new network and yet providing something of value to a network that you didn't quite know how to tap into? Right, right. So the initial meetings and things I had were with people I knew or through someone I knew um, who could make a valuable introduction. And I wanted to hear those people's stories and how they got where they were. And then, you know, initially because some of the interviews I did were roles that I, I ultimately decided in terms of a track where to take my career that I wasn't interested in. So there was sort of initially sort of a phase of a few interviews to do sort of gather more information. And those people I stayed in touch with, you know, the ones who were doing recruiting or business development, you know, sort of like, thank you very much. And, you know, I really appreciate your information. And this is the route I'm going to go on this other one. And I appreciate your time. And you really helped clarify the thinking for me. And then the other folks where I met them and they were in a professional development role, really finding out from them, like, what are the things that had gotten them there um, and ideas from them. And then it became a, a situation of staying in touch with them to let them know what I'd done with the advice or things that I was coming across or people I was meeting. Um, as I like to say, I learned the, art, the, the fine art of sending emails that do not require an answer. <laughs> Just an update. Because, you know, once someone helps you, they do want to know what goes on. Um, so things that I did to make the transition, um, realized the gaps in my resume and went back to school through um, the School of Continuing Professional Studies at NYU. So that in an interview, when someone says, you haven't done, I could say yes. And here's where I'm filling in the gaps. Um, I got on the mailing list and paid attention to the, um, I would say, professional associations that people in the profession I was entering into or wanted to enter into, what they were reading, what they were, you know, attending, what they were listening. Um, I attended their conferences. You know, that was all, all on my own time, on my own dime, did all of that. Um, I got involved with a, a committee at the Association of the Bar of the city of New York that dealt with professional development, just as a tip to people, like inviting, as you know, as a podcast host, inviting people to speak about themselves usually gets you any call and anyone you want. <laughs> so I thought, what better way to meet some of these people than to call them and ask them if they'd want to sit on a panel at the Bar Association. <laughs> Absolutely. That's kind of genius. You basically made yourself the, the host. Exactly. <laughs> great people 
to serve your needs of needing to meet them. What a valuable way to connect. Exactly. So I, I, I did that. Um, like you said, I read the books, did things. I mean, I remember pro- approaching Ida Abbott, who um, sort of the guru of attorney training and professional development at the time I was making my career change, and she'd written a book. Um, I'd read the book. And, and I remember being at this professional development conference and she was grabbing coffee and there was no one else around. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to go up and introduce her myself to her. I'm going to let her know how I enjoyed her book. I'll let her know what parts resonated with me. And she has been a friend and a mentor ever since. Um, so yeah. Um, so I sort of did all of those things for, yeah, like a good 18 months. They're, they're so, okay. I, I love this because it's practical, but it's also, you did it in real life. This isn't just you running off a list of things to do. These are the things you did successfully. So I want to just like give you credit for that, you know, because you could have been the guru who says, this is what people should do. Um, no, no, no. I, I remind people regularly, like you write a book on networking, you've got to eat your own dog food. And I, yeah. do, I do that every single day. But there's so much of what you were talking about that is so simple. And yet I want to also say profound because a lot of people don't do it. So like one of those things is closing the loop. You know, you were essentially doing informational interviews and even with the people that didn't end up being helpful in the sense that it wasn't the direction you were going in, you close the loop with them to let them know how their information was helpful in you figuring that out. Like, and the people that were on that career path, you continue to stay in touch and like nurture and connect. I think people just like fail at that level. <laughs> you know, they, they, they either are not willing to put themselves out there to look for the interviews or they treat the interviews as a, as a job interview, not an informational interview. And then they're disappointed when it doesn't work out. Um, and you were like, no long game. And you never know. yeah, joining your association ahead of time brilliant getting on a committee brilliant because the uh, this is the other tip associations always need volunteers oh, <laughs> like, yeah. what a great way to like become known in a in a new industry volunteer for their association on some kind of committee and then you'll get to meet and in your case in, you know invite the people that you needed to meet right yeah and provide value right away yeah i, I mean th- sort of two things i'd say you know in my own story you know by the time i landed the job the good news was i now had my p- peer network at competitor firms who i could bounce ideas off of like i i what you know you talk about like you know the first you know 90 days as a new manager well i had a whole lot of people outside my immediate peer group in my firm that I could ask for advice. And that was invaluable over, you know, the four years I was in a professional development role um, in terms of getting competitor salaries, in terms of uh, structures, programming, things they were doing. I mean, I had people to call upon and that, so that's all the other piece of why would you invest that time in that network? You know, it's essential. Then as soon as you said, you know, volunteering. So one of the case studies in my book um, it was involved someone getting involved, uh, getting very active in a professional association. And the first time she showed up at the association meeting that she's now been president of and all the rest of it, Jennifer noticed that um, the name tag table was basically a hot mess. Like it was just disorganized and the organizers were like, you know, freaking out because people were going to be arriving. And she was new, new to New York City, new to the industry, like new to everything. And she looked at them and she said, do you need some help? And they were like, oh my God. She's like, let me, let me take over the name tag table. You guys got enough other stuff. I'll just take care of this. 
it was really smart on her part because as she says, how do you learn the name of everybody and meet everybody at an event? Hand out name tags. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this because I, I, I wrote an article that I, I'm, I'm pitching actually um, currently and it's about how to break into professional association and, and all the different ways I've done that. But it's such an underused sort of way of, of engaging in a new space. And I wanted to appreciate again that the fact that you having that network helped you once you were actually in the role. But okay, here's a question. I want to hear about what you're doing today, but I'm going to ask you a slightly different way than maybe you've usually been asked. You usually probably okay. get asked and you give your spiel. I want to know what you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today. Oh, um, you know what? Probably it's a, it's a long thread in my career. It's, it's seeing other people be, become successful um, and knowing that, that advice or guidance that you've given them or advice or guidance that you've shared that they've then applied in some way in their own life and had success. Um, and that's what I get. I get just, I get to get an incredible high from that. Just an incredible high. And so um, do people write you? Like, how do you find out about their incredible success? Um, they'll write me, they'll say something, they'll send me a note. Um, yeah, all, all sorts of different ways there, you know, um, in terms of unlocking, like when someone's reaching a stumbling block and they don't know where to go and you're able to show them that they actually do know what they're doing uh, and to share that, you know, guidance with them that they're like, oh my God, I actually do have this. Like I, I can figure this out. That, that's, that's really satisfying. You know, maybe yeah. it goes back to training your assassins and, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> we're uh, we're going to have to think about that being the title of this episode. <laughs> it keeps coming up. That's <laughs> so good. I like it. That'll really get people like, what the hell? What's easy? Yeah, yeah. Well, pivot it so on your good. podcast. It's no longer networking. It's about becoming an assassin. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you, you've been at this for a while and, and, and people are reaching out to you. And I think anyone listening who has gotten support from someone should take note that reaching out and saying, as much in a detailed, specific kind of way, it's like the best thing ever for the person mm-hmm. who's helping you. Um, what so? What are the kinds of things you're offering them? Like, if you were you know to give a case study of of what your life is like right now and how who you're serving. Well, a lot of the times when, when you know, like what I try and do is when someone reaches out and says, "Oh, you know, thank you very much. You know, loved your book, or I heard you speak, and this was you know it was really helpful." And thank you, and that's all they say. I always reach back out and sort of say, "Tell me more." You know, like what was the specific advice? Because that's, I think for you, you know, you write, you got your podcast, your book, you know, all that kind of good stuff. We can think of what is going to be helpful. But until you talk to the other person, like what is meaningful, what is helpful, what's enlightening to them? Um, and that in and of itself. Um, and I remember there was one young woman who, because of reading my book, she's like, this is what I did. And she was like, boom, 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 you know, the blog post, this, the outreach and ended up, you know, carving, you know, a completely new role um, within her company, moving from Dallas to New York City, um, you know, pitching this whole thing because she's like, they'd never had a remote worker, but I wanted to live in New York. And so this is what I did. And I was just like, oh my God, you go girl. And, you know, she's, you know, 26, 27. I'm thinking to myself, God, I wish I'd had that nerve then. But, you know, as I said, 
I'm having the career I want now. I'm no envy on it years, but I think the um, enthusiasm and the fearlessness that she kind of went after. Um, again, I, yeah, I go back to train your assassins. Like someone achieving and doing so much more than um, I could possibly have imagined from reading my own book at, at her age. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you've been lauded, I mentioned in the uh, intro by quite a few, and I want to start talk about what, what did you do to get to that record level of recognition? I mean, so um, Forbes said you're one of five women changing the world of VC and entrepreneurship, which is pretty incredible. Um, Fast Company, one of 25 smartest women on Twitter. Business Insider, one of the 100 most influential tech women on Twitter. I mean, these are like... That's awesome. I love the one you were telling me before that you were like an up and comer. You're I'm 48. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. Yes, this up and comer. Anyone under 50 is an up and, up and comer. Right, exactly. It's, so, well, it's, it's never too, too late or you're never too old to start something new. So, you know, kind of go for it. There's doing good work and there's being recognized for doing good work. And I think, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you shift from, you know, being uh, sort of focused in your world just, you know, I think a lot of people are like nose down, do their mm-hmm. job, do their job really well, but they're not really known outside of their immediate circle. They're not being lauded by, you know, Forbes and Business Insider for like the amazing things they're doing. How are you thinking about that? Is it, is it about a personal brand? Is it about your network? Like, how did you develop a consciousness about making sure other people were aware of what you did, even though it wasn't about that? But it means right. you can reach more people and help more people. Right. Well, I think an element of this, and I think you'd agree, is it, in terms of building a network, you got to show up every day. You know? And that doesn't have to be showing up in a big way, but you've got to be there consistently and not just showing up when you need something or not just showing up when you're going to make a career change. Um, I think some of this goes back to my days as an attorney where you know, attorney advertising rules were such that you know, no billboards you know, all you could do was share your expertise and provide exceptional customer service and hope clients referred you. So, you know, that elusive word of mouth network that, you know, people are kind of hungry for today. So you kind of factor in those things. You factor in that career change that, you know, as I said, that 18 month, and I'm glad you, you sort of say glad for sharing that, that people don't realize it takes 10 years. 18 months is a long time. And I decided at that point in my life, um, I was never going to put my career in that jeopardy again, that I would always have a diverse network and find ways to, to maintain a whole lot of different networks so that I wasn't so vulnerable in the case I wanted to make another career change. And then I think like to think of it, um, and I've said this before, is, is we live in an, a time where it's not who you know or what you know, it's who knows what you know. And so putting your head down and doing good work is dandy, but it's not going to go. Like ideas without a network are just ideas, right? It's, 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 it's only... Um, you know, careers and possibility and transformations happen because networks carry the word of it. So you've got to fuel your network with reasons to talk about you and not talk about you in the way of, oh, look, Kelly's looking for a job again. You know, like that's going to fall on deaf ears. But 
hey, Kelly's doing this, or hey, Kelly's written about this, or oh, did, this was really helpful. She gave this, you know, provided this to me, or oh, she was willing to look at my deck, or whatever it may be. So, you know, kind of that putting yourself in front of serendipity by being active and visible. And, and I'm glad you, you kind of use personal brand because I think it's, you know, your brand is what your network tells you it is, not something you, you carefully create in sort of an artificial way. It's, it's your individual behavior and then what your network says. So, you know, what is the information? What's the behaviors that you're putting out there to your network that they are then going to fuel back opportunities to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And, and I want to get to some concrete examples of this because I, I, I think that everyone listening is going to nod along. That all sounds great. <laughs> and then they're always left with a like, ah, but how do I actually do this? And how do I end up dining with Malala? I mean, like, seriously. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. We can, we can talk about that one because that all fits with that. So let's, you know, in terms of, you know, your network talking about you. Um, let me give a concrete example. So, after um, five and a half years in law firm management, after my legal career, um, I completely stepped out of that world uh, and became the first president of a global business network for women. And the, how that career change came about was people in that, that particular women's business network talking about me because I was involved, I was active, I was... Um, post it was that's when I started blogging so that's going to be and I was blogging on their website so that's you know 2008 uh, 2009 you know in there I was I mean this was and this was only six months of very active activity Um, and the founder of the network called me and said you're asking interesting questions you're involved I've like took a look at everything that you're doing like tell me about you uh, and at the end of an hour-long phone call, she offered me a job that previously hadn't existed. Wow. So that's why I'm like, you know, you, you put yourself in front of serendipity um, and you put yourself in front of opportunities. I mean, all of us in many, like think about online, we'll just focus it with on online networks. All of us have the same tools at our disposal, like whether we blog on Tumblr or post on LinkedIn or have a profile on LinkedIn or whether we tweet or snap or, you know, do whatever else. Um, It's just the extent to which you use them, the intent with which you use them. And, and, and are you showing up or are you just expecting something to happen kind of magically once? Oh, it's, it's, you know, what are, what are those tools and how can you be of value to other people um, so that they seek you out and want to find other things for you. Um, you know, after that time period as the president for the network for a year, I went and, you know, did some consulting after that. Um, you know, some with law firms, some with startups, you know, kind of around the place. And again, this is again, like putting out there and, and putting, not just saying what you can do, showing people you can do it. Uh, and I really got involved in the startup community, because um, a couple of women um, had an idea for a startup accelerator focusing on um, female founders. And this is, so ba- this is back in 2011. And they kept describing their idea to people of what they wanted to do. And they described it in the context of needing a third co-founder with a particular skill set. And every time they talked to someone, so that person would say, well, you know who you need to talk to. 
you, know, you should talk to Kelly. You should talk to Kelly. You should talk. It kept like literally my name kept coming up. And so they reached out to me and we had dinner and, you know, the kind of rest is history. So again, that's why I'm a big, 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 big proponent of like, don't just tell people what you can do, show them, you know, um, you know, volunteer, blog, do whatever it is, get involved in an association, you know, mentor, like whatever, show people and get people talking about you. So good. So good. So I'm curious about how you nurture uh, not your immediate circle, but like that second and third layer out, you know, the people that you see once a year at a conference or you worked with five years ago, but you don't have a reason to sort of talk to them today. What are your, what are you doing to make sure you stay, I guess, top of mind, um, you know, present, engaged in some way with those sort of outer layers, the fringes of your network? I mean, they sort of thank God for the internet because, you know, See, back in the day, we had pen pals, and if the pen pal moved, <laughs> you were SOL <laughs> in terms of figuring out and staying in touch. I mean, this is where you, um, you know, maintain your, you know, if you're an alumni of a school or college or university, you, you maintain, you know, sort of an up-to-date profile because who knows, right? Um, and, and watch and, and review those kind of things when, you know, that alumni newsletter comes across your desk or... Um, in your mailbox or in your email. Um, this is, you know, the beauty of social platforms. Not so much so all of us can sort of, you know, vomit content all the time, but so you can watch and observe. I mean, the studies have shown us that of like reconnecting by wishing someone a happy birthday or congratulating them on a career change is more likely to reignite and rebuild a strong connection than if you're, you know, and less effort than if you're trying to build an entirely new connection, you know, from the ground up. So, you know, is, do you have a holiday card? Do you send a newsletter? Do you write for publications? You know, do you post regularly? I mean, posting re- regularly. What are you doing then, Kelly? All, so of, what, all of those what, things. <laughs> yeah, what are your, what are your, do you have habits around it? Is it, is it part of your schedule? Daily, weekly? It's daily. Monthly? It's like, I mean, I do a weekly newsletter. Um, I post every week. Um, LinkedIn has been a big way for me to stay in touch with my professional network. Um, you know, when I think about my past life as a lawyer um, and in, in management um, and the connections through that. So um, post Monday through Friday on LinkedIn once a day, first thing in the morning. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm going there every day, to, you know, spend five or 10 minutes just to see if there's any updates or anything that I should be aware of. Um, and then, you know, Twitter is another way in terms of staying visible. Um, you know, my newsletter ends up on my website, you know, and like we talked about before, writing for other publications. I mean, that's the sort of, uh, you know, you watch for people's birthdays. I mean, it's the only reason probably I haven't, you know, completely nuked my Facebook account is, you know, like how else am I going to figure out when everyone's birthday is? So are you, do you uh, host <laughs> gatherings? Or are you someone who convenes salons, dinner parties? at home or when you're traveling? Does any of that kind of thing happen? Um, yeah, in terms of um, the ability to reach out to people. I mean, one of the things um, uh, I used to do uh, fairly regularly um, was post on LinkedIn in my the summary box when I was speaking and where I was going to be. And I found that was a really great way to get people sort of hey, you're going to be in town, let's connect, let's do this. So yes, connecting with people those ways. Um, uh, don't host dinner parties and stuff as much as I used to. It's just time hasn't permitted it, but yeah, you know, maybe yeah. it's a, maybe this is a good reminder to do that again. Yeah, I mean, because they're they're kind of 
they're actually a better use of your time sometimes because you you get to have six or eight people at once and they yeah. they do all the work of talking. <laughs> <laughs> there there is that. There is that. But you know, like I think it's one of those things. Um, you know, when it has been a while since you've chatted with someone, I think the art of reigniting what was a you know, a positive working relationship, a collegial, you know, friendship, whatever it may be. Like this, I mean, maybe it goes back to how you live your life on a daily basis. And if you are like that decent person that people want to help, that even if there's been a great lapse of time, you know, depending on how you reach out, you can reignite that. So let me give you a real concrete example. And both of these came through former colleagues when I was in, in law firm management, and both of these emails came through LinkedIn. And one other point on this, so everyone knows, I maintain an up-to-date profile on LinkedIn. It is not out of date. Everything is accurate to the moment. One email was on LinkedIn was probably about the length of my arm. It was from someone who had reminded me how we work together had noted, you know, where I had had accomplishments and how, in, you know, impressed she had, had was on things that I had done. Um, and then she said, there's where the intersection, uh, there's, there's where her life had, had led from when we had worked together. Here's the intersection with what she's doing now. And by the way, if, you know, I kind of like, I know you're busy, but if there's any chance I can talk to you, here's some specific questions I have regarding um, a startup that she was getting involved in. That in-mail was magical. It was, it was the equivalent of like a handwritten note. It, and this was someone who, she's like, I wonder if you remember me. I'm like, you always remember a great colleague. You always remember someone who's an outstanding performer and a decent human being. So it, this was like the easiest one to respond to. The second one from a colleague was, hey, Kelly, what are you doing these days? And as I said, both of these communications were on LinkedIn. And so I saw this one and I'm thinking to myself, mm, he hasn't changed, has he? So let's have some fun with this. I said, I'm well. I wrote a book. In mail comes back, no kidding. What's it about? And I'm thinking to myself, you couldn't take 10 seconds 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and look at my LinkedIn profile. Like, look at my profile on the, you know, the darn platform we're communicating on to see what I'm up to. Like, the, 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 the profound arrogance of it was, like, unbelievable. And, you know, I'll admit, I, you know, kind of dragged the conversation on longer than I should have just so I can share the example. So one person, it had literally been eight years since I communicated with this woman and boom, you know, back in a heartbeat in terms of the feeling. So that's why I'm, I'm a big proponent of like, how do you show up every day? Because then you can show up once in a while, you know? Um, and, you know, if you were the person who always needs something and gives nothing back, you know what? God bless. Good, you know, good luck to you. And, and, and takers. Go, with, go, go with God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we're, we're coming to the end of our time and I have one last question for you. And it's one of my favorite. Um, and I, and I'm thrilled that we're going to stay in touch online, hopefully cross paths. I'm in New York quite a bit and I do host gatherings in Dumbo. Yahoo! So I'll start inviting you. Um, I want to know if, we, if we're connecting a year from now and we're celebrating all of your successes 
you know, what are we going to be toasting to? What are you looking forward to in the year ahead? I keep, I keep saying this because it, uh, you know, careful what you wish for, but I also think you have to put the intention out in the world. So my book was just translated into simplified Chinese characters. No, I did not do the translation, just in case anyone is wondering. Uh, so a year from now, I want to be celebrating an international bestseller. Wow. A true international bestseller. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And it's a great book. I got myself a copy. I'm so excited to share it. I'll be like talking about it online myself. Um, thank you so much. Where can we find you and follow your work? Uh, if you go to my website, jkellyhoey.co, that'll have my, uh, it's got my blog. It's got a contact form that comes directly to my inbox. It has also got all my social profiles and you can find everything there. Fantastic. We're also going to have a link to your LinkedIn and your Twitter on the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Kelly, thanks so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kelly. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 154. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 150 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorites. Have you been thinking about working with me? Not ready to commit to a six-month program? Send me an email to ask about The More Fundamentals, a three-month program that gets you the information you need to take your business to the next level through relationship-based business strategies and gives you access to the community that will support you. My email is Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. I'm also accepting a couple of more one-on-one coaching clients. And if you find that intriguing, please reach out. If you enjoyed this episode with Kelly, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.